Here we are. We're back again. Yes, another episode of FNI Rap Chat. You're very welcome. How is everybody doing out there? We've got the full swing of January. Are you kind of shaking off those Christmas cobwebs? Uh, yeah, is everybody, uh, you know, on their f- halfway through their fab diets and their veganry mm, yeah. and whatever else? Uh, off, the, off the booze for January. Have you made it this far? Yeah, well, yeah I hope you have because, uh, you know, then you have more time to uh, make films, which yeah. is what we're all about. Um, you're very welcome back to another episode, episode 80 something, because it's hard to keep track yeah, of them. It's hard now. to keep track, yeah. Um, thank you, uh, you know, uh, for your continued support, listening and sharing and subscribing. We really appreciate it. Um, it's been a it's been a really fantastic year for not only the podcast but Film Network Ireland in general. Um, uh, you you know, if you'd like to kind of know, uh, g- keep track on what's kind of happening with FNI, you can follow us on social media at uh, Instagram forward slash Film Network Ireland. Uh, Facebook forward slash Film Network Ireland and at FNI underscore film on Twitter. And if you're in the habit of buying coffee for people that you like, you can head on over to www.buymeacoffee.com forward slash FNI. And uh, yeah, it's a, a, a Patreon scenario there uh, if you want to uh, if you want to support us, uh, support, support support us in that way. Yeah. So who have we got today, Paul? We've got Claire Dunn, uh, an actress and writer, um, yeah, and all around inspiration. Uh, this conversation she really brought us through the development of her feature film that she wrote herself, which is called, called herself. Her, herself. <laughs> yes. It is herself, uh, which is going to Sundance, and she's on the way over there, probably, possibly as we speak, she's yeah. flying out there, um, and her folks are going out there. So really, really. Uh, amazing story and of just you know finding a story that she was so passionate about and it couldn't get away from her and mm. uh, yeah just uh, not giving up something something in the back of her head that just would not leave her alone until she got it finished and this is number one it's inspirational but a great great example of how someone who is talented being getting tremendous support from people uh, you know, and really investing in talent. So this is, number one, from a female filmmaker and writer perspective, this is really one that you should listen to. But number two, just uh, in terms of a human interest story and just not giving up and getting something across the line, uh, it's really fantastic. So, yeah, it's a good one. Um, other news. Do we have any other news? Yeah, keep an eye on uh, our social networks for classes and stuff. We're... Some some really interesting stuff happening now in the future, both with sponsors and, and events and seminars. So uh, keep an eye out for those. So yeah, massive thank you to everybody who's been attending our classes and in terms of our uh, home, homeless initiative in December, we were, we're really proud proud of uh, the, w- the work everybody has done on those initiatives and, uh, and, 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 and a sincere thanks to everybody who took part. Um, also coming up in just a matter of days, we have uh, Paul's uh, Paul Webster's uh, documentary "Finding the Story" class, which is uh, on this Saturday, the eighteenth of January, and it's going to be really freaking good. Yeah, I, I can't wait. I'm really looking forward to it. So yeah, if if there's anyone who you know who's starting out and trying to get into documentary, um, this is definitely for them. Or if you have made a couple, you just want to kind of get a bit more. Um, knowledge and we get a chance to workshop ideas and stuff uh, it's going to be really fun and um, yeah the panel in the in the evening with uh, some really great filmmakers Paul Fagan uh, Alex Fagan Paul Duan and Nasa Nikina yeah check back um, we for anybody who may be interested Paul uh, was on recently last week and uh, there's a v- way way back uh, we had uh, Alex on um, as part of a panel at the Kerry Film Festival over a year ago so have a little listen back to to that to wet uh, to wet your appetites. Um, it's going to be a it's going to be a, a, gr- a great day, and uh, uh, you know uh, any excuse to have a pint afterwards as well. So okay. come along. Yeah. All right. Um, let's go to Claire Dunn.
Claire Dawn, hiya. Hello. You're very welcome. Thank you. <laughs> uh, are you in, you must be in crazy prep for dun- Sundance mode. Uh, yeah, and I kind of didn't know what that really meant until it started to happen. And I was like, oh yeah, okay. It's the, they, they set up obviously a load of things for you to do while you're there. Mm-hmm. and um, But also you have to prep yourself like wardrobe wise and also the fact that you're in one of the coldest places ever. <laughs> and like, yeah. like pr- properly just get some snow boots and yeah, stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so so you, do you, you ski? You probably um, won't have time to ski. But. Well, this is interesting. My cousin lives there and is a ski instructor. So yes, I will Park hopefully. City. Yeah, That's no way. Yeah, um, Joe, he's from Dublin, like, and he he said to me years ago as a joke. He was like, like, well, not as a joke. Maybe maybe it wasn't a joke. He was like, when are you ever going to get into something that gets to Sundance? Like that that has to happen at some point. Yeah. And uh, and I used to be like, yeah, sure. I mean, hopefully I get into something that gets there someday. And it's my own movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so he's that? more than delighted. He's been. On, on the phone constantly in the last few months to me and my parents are gone so we've had all these like FaceTime calls in the last few weeks just going it's going to be so much crack and Is he so, going to yeah. give you a discount? Hopefully I hope so <laughs> please God <laughs> But you can ski anyway, can I did a week of skiing when I was in school you know when you pay an extortionate amount oh, to go yeah. skiing when you're when you're 16, I did that, <laughs> yeah. and uh, and I was I remember being I t- I I took to it pretty well, yeah. like you know. So I feel like, although I I don't know, I I met a friend of mine the other day. I was like, I have this feeling I'll do that snowplow thing, that real safety one, oh, where yeah. you just snowplow and stay on the baby slopes, yeah, yeah, because I'll be so afraid of doing something to myself during. I, I went skiing once, and I've never felt like such a fucking idiot <laughs> in my whole life. I was just like, I'm not built for this. At mm. all, at all, at all, at all. Yeah, it it's a, a really weird one because it can be an adrenaline. Like if you, do, it, it's very simple. Yeah. You do bigger turns, you go slower. You go straight down, you go faster. And it's very simple. But when you get addicted to the adrenaline, you can just become an adrenaline junkie. Like that's what happened to me near the end of the week right. when I was 16. And I was just like going down like red slopes, which is like I shouldn't have been on them. <laughs> like I was only there four or five days and I was like going there's, down. So there's, yeah. no sweet, there's a sweet spot with beers as well. Mm. Two or three beers is actually good. It takes the edge off, takes yeah, the fear out of things. Yeah. But once you go beyond that, that, you get a bit too cocky. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And apparently when you get to this uh, particular place, you have to get used to the altitude anyway, in general. Okay. So we're going to have more than jet lag when we get there. It'll be like, whoa. So I'm, I'm yeah, I'm totally excited <laughs> though. <laughs> that's the real reason you're going to Sundance. Yes, year. it is. Did yeah. you, have you gotten any advice from... Other people have been there before. Um, n- haven't had a chance to have a chat with Sean Curse, like, but I plan on giving her a bell because she was there. Yeah. Um, and no, apart from that, I've just chat- chatted to my cousin really. Um, Ed Guiney, who produced the film, has been there before, and he was just literally more interested in getting my cousin's phone number so <laughs> that he could yeah, organise some ski lessons. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. So, um, no, so I feel pretty like I'll just figure it out as I yeah, go. Can now. you tell uh, the listeners kind of a little bit about the film? And, um, yeah, it's a film set in contemporary Dublin, and it's about a woman with two kids. Uh, she's kind of a single mother, really, that's just, just left a relationship, but he obviously still has access to the kids. So she's a single mommy in. in inverted commas or whatever and she is uh, struggling to find somewhere to rent or she's you know on the on the waiting list obviously for a council house and she is inspired by her daughter and by various little moments of inspiration to just look up um, how to build a house for yourself and she finds a design online that's um, you can you can literally download the plans and just start yourself kind of thing <laughs> and it's it's based uh, but I must highlight, and that was one of the things I want to remind myself after my live interview on RT was, I want to remind, I want to tell everyone that this whole film is a fiction, but it's based in fact. Mm-hmm. So it was inspired by me literally Googling self-built cheap Ireland. And I discovered um, an architect called Dominic Stevens who did this for himself. So okay. he built a house for himself for 25,000 euro. So I that that's literally what it is, and and the kind of theme I suppose on a broader sense is like it's a woman who decides to help herself first, that attracts help in, and mm-hmm. then a community sort of forms around her, and then she kind of begins a new life. So it's it's one of those typical 
transformation stories, I suppose, on yeah, that level. Genre, in yeah. terms of genre, is there a bit of comedy or is it more? Um, there's definitely a bit of comedy <laughs> and a bit of lightness in there because, you, you know, like she has two kids, like yeah. as well, <laughs> they're there. And um, there's also just, uh, there's a lot of amazing characters in the ensemble of people that come together and help her. And so there's kind of lightness and comedy in there all the time because it's a Dublin story. And like we all, as we all know, when it's a Dublin story, there's usually like dark humour anyway mm-hmm. if you know even if it's a dark story there'd be a bit of bit of humour absolutely mm-hmm. it takes a village to uh, raise uh, to build a house in this case <laughs> yeah <laughs> exactly and uh, could you tell us through kind of the process from once mm-hmm. you got the idea and then getting it onto paper and kind of roughly uh kind of how long that all kind of took and how, yeah. how the de- development process was. Um, well, I kind of, I like I had a spark of an idea, I suppose. And then, but that was like in 2014, right? It was just an right. idea. Like it was like a, it was like a flash that hit me in. It was like, I kind of, I think I, I saw it all in a flash, but it really has stuck to that flash, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. It's the it basics of it. Wouldn't, it, let, it. Wouldn't, let, it wouldn't let me go. It was a pretty, pretty strong idea. And that's one thing I've learned is that like if you're writing something, if the idea is strong enough, it actually will keep you interested. It's not that you have to generate interest in it. You just, you just are interested. Mm-hmm. Like, and it just keeps growing and peeling back the layers. So I thought of the idea and I... Um, I haven't written a screenplay before, obviously. Um, I'd written a bit at the end of college because in Royal Welsh College they make you do a thing called an end of year assessment. And uh, so I'd written something in college and then made it a kind of full-fledged production in Smock Alley the year I graduated. But that was all I'd ever done. Mm -hmm. So I suppose for me it was like I got the idea, googled self-build art and cheap and went, someone's someone's like you can do this like you can actually build a house for yourself and it was like oh my god and it was in the midst of um so I was in New York and I was doing some auditions I was trying to do the pilot season thing and what like look it wasn't going great um (laughs) it was no it was going good but it was like it's not as many uh, it wasn't as many uh auditions that you apparently get in LA but it was quite frequent and I was just trying it out I was just (laughs) literally going over on the holiday visa and giving it a go because I I I'd signed an agent there and he asked me to so you know I was I was giving it a go um, but the best thing about it was I was reading scripts so fast all the time and you develop a kind of, like, I'm talking like page one, you start to go, this is crap or this is great. Mm. You get an instinct for yeah. it. So I think there was that going on. There was like, I was just I was just learning lines and I was getting to realise like, wow, like, you really have to make some lines work and some lines you don't and you just get a, an eye for good writing. So that was going on. I was coming into the like third month of when I was there and I hadn't got, I'd only gotten a couple of callbacks, but no, no jobs or whatever. And, you know, like it would have been great if I did, but I didn't. Um, so I suppose I was like, you know, do my thing. And then a, a very close friend of mine rang me and she's a single mammy with three kids and she had to declare herself homeless that week because her landlord had done the thing of like, I actually have to... I have to do all this stuff with my property. I have to give you a month's notice, all this kind of thing. So she had to move um, out within a month. She's one of the lucky people. She got to move in with her parents, but it was only like one little room for her and her three kids. Uh, She probably would have ended up in temporary accommodation, if not right. But anyway, the point is, is that she literally legally had to go down to Mm. Parkgate House or whatever and declare herself homeless, which is such a, I'd say it's like, as a single mammy with her kids to have to even do that it's like I have to declare that I'm like it's such a painful thing yeah. and I remember at the time being like it was as simple as the, it shouldn't be like this that's what was going on in me I was like I shouldn't be in New York trying to be discovered in all these like pieces that I don't like half of the scripts I don't, I'm not really sure about I don't really know and then my friend shouldn't be doing that and so it was like there was all this stuff going on then I was trying to learn some lines for some detective series and then it was like an electric bolt went through me. I saw, a, I was like, imagine a woman who just goes to the side of the system, just makes it about bricks and wood and my hands in the earth and I can just build this thing because it's all wrapped up in this crap about mortgages and money and blah, blah, blah. Um, and it was really like, it was sort of, I suppose, basic in a way, the idea, do you know what I mean? It just was like... But it was like clunk and it just like it was like, what the hell? <laughs> Googled the thing, self-built art and cheap. I swear to God, I couldn't focus on the lines that I had to learn for the next day. I was just yeah. like, what the hell is this? So obviously then I just kind of went, 
this is an idea. Googled, found your man, Dominic Stevens, read this article going, this is amazing, this is amazing. Okay, 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 put it down. Go and learn your lines for uh, tomorrow. Went to that audition, did that audition, and on the way back, I bought an A3 size uh, notebook with just like plain paper in it. Mm-hmm. And this just started happening. Like, I just was like... You were possessed. I was possessed. And I, <laughs> I, I was right. I was drawing actually like storyboard images at first. It was really weird. And it was in pencil. I still have this notebook, obviously. Yeah. I'm obsessed with looking back at it now going, ha <laughs> ha, stay that. <laughs> um, but they were the early sketches of something. And um, and so it was, it was this kind of mad time where like... It's kind of when you're on the edge. Like, I mean, I had no money. I'd gotten a loan of money to get over there. I was really on the edge of myself. I wasn't even sure I wanted to be a bloody actor during this experience because I was like, what the hell is this? Like, it's it's so, it's just so big. You know, the industry, the whole thing. Like, I knew I was doing all right and I'd had some good theatre roles and I'm not an Egypt. But there was something about all of this going on that I was like, whoa. So pretty much, sorry, this is a really long answer. No, 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 this is great. So I I went from that to going, right, I'm supposed to go home in a month. Feck it. I'm going to get my flight closer to me. Uh, Changed my flight for like two weeks time. Uh, Gave my bar people like some job notice, you know, to say I'm I'm not going to be waitressing anymore. And I still remember walking out on my last shift and uh, Mike, who I worked with, going, Claire, what are you doing? Like, where, where, what are you going back to do? And I said, I'm going to write a screenplay. <laughs> <laughs> See you later, pal. And I remember thinking, that's like one of those things where I hope it's a self-fulfilling prophecy because I was bullshitting. <laughs> do you know what I yeah. mean? I really was. Like, yeah. And then, uh, but then I went home and what happened, it was all, like it all happened very organically. Like, I didn't even tell my auntie that I was moving home, but my auntie rang me at one point going, um, I heard that you're maybe coming back to Dublin instead of London now for a while. Uh, my friend needs her house to be house sat in. Could you want to, do you want it? It's in Portobello, like right by the canal. I was uh, like, yeah, I do. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I do. I'll have to think about that one. Because my room was sublet at the time. I was living with Charlie Murphy at the time and... Um, me and her spent the whole time bloody subletting that flat because she kept getting work away. I kept getting work away. It was hilarious. It was a joke. So she was like, look, I'm going away. You, you're you all over the place as well. Why don't we try and get rid of this? So eventually, like we were subletting anyway. So then it was like, it just felt like the right thing to do. So I went back to Dublin and it was the first time in my life I ever signed on the dole. And I used it as my, that was to me, that was like, that's my check to myself every week to survive and I'd never done it before it was mm. so weird it was I was so scared but the only thing was I was like but I am writing a story I'm deciding that I'm now researching for this story and so I literally then just got the finger out met up with people in women's aid met with Dominic was the first person I met was the architect guy had a coffee with him then ended up having several trips with him over through the summer uh, reading his books reading books about everything reading books about writing reading books about human nature, about economics, you name it. I was reading it. I was like a hermit. And um, and I was loving it because then what (laughs) happened was I actually did book a theatre gig for towards the end of the year in in London. So I kind of knew I had something coming. So I literally had the glorious thing of like, okay, I know it looks like from the outside I'm this actor on the dole in Dublin. But actually what I was doing was like I was hounding out of it. And I remember writing like and get download you know when you get Celtex or something like that like mm-hmm. a film writing thing that's like for free and I remember just even like breaking sweats even trying to like understand how all this stuff works and then and then how how much it actually takes out of you to first start writing is like you feel like you're it, like it feels athletic and they actually have done studies on this you do burn a lot of calories when you're property grade writing and I'm like yeah. I know from the first times I tried <laughs> yeah. I'd be like this is really like hard it's like it's you're exhausting. acting all the parts at once you mm. know yeah. and, and and being the god of that world and trying to oversee it as well like it's it's a crazy thing and then but once you find your own writer's muscle you do you do get in there eventually and then I suppose by the end of that summer, all I managed was like my first 60 pages or 64 pages. Like I didn't write a feature film. At first I was going, oh, maybe this is a thing that's a drama and it'll be on the telly in like two or three parts. I wasn't sure what it was. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, so then, so I did that. Then went off to London. And then in 2015, so early 2015, I applied for that first uh, quarter of screenplay development Mm -hmm. funding. Didn't get it. (laughs) 
like, yeah, well, you're not like, the only one. Yeah, didn't get it. <laughs> Nobody knew who the hell I was. There, like, some actress thinks she can write. No, it wasn't. It wasn't as bad as that. But I think I'd. I think by then I'd written a feature. So by then I had 120 pages or 110 pages. So I had kept at it, even though I was working acting in London. Didn't get that, but was like I got a, I got a week in Anna McCarrick. And and, yes. and that really helped me go, oh, wow, OK, like this is just a thing you really have to dedicate yourself to anyway. And I invested in that. So then the year went on. I went on just doing acting work on like, I wonder what will ever happen with this project. But I still felt really like connected to it. So mm-hmm. I was kind of going. At this point, did you, had you given it to anybody else for any feedback or anything? No, I think it was. I was it still your baby and you're like, I don't know. It wasn't that I didn't want anyone. I just didn't know what to do, where well, to I don't send know what it. to do. And it was actually in 2015. I was working with Nikki Gogan on a short um, that Emma Kieran wrote. That unfortunately we never it never actually got like fully finished and put out there, which I hope it does someday. It was a great one to make. Like, yeah. but I was working with Nikki, and she was so nice. She she said, "I I heard somebody was saying that you're actually writing a film." Blah blah blah. She basically asked me for the script, and then said, "Do you know what's going to help you?" A table read. So she knows the guys in Bow Street mm-hmm. and she got me um, a table read organised. And do you know who read at that Neve Algar, who was now like a <laughs> superstar? Like, and uh, I think, oh, who was the other girl? Was it? It wasn't Shauna didn't read it because I wouldn't, I, th- I can't remember. But there was loads of really good people at that table, like Eddie Murphy and all. And, and um, sorry, uh, why is it gone straight out of my head? Come on. Names go out of my head when I'm nervous. So <laughs> she's gone for me now. It'll come back. But basically, there was a really nice and abundance of talented people helping. But you like out. just supportive people yeah. helping me. They're not getting paid. Yeah, like yeah. and it really was early stages then. I was having a great time. I remember sitting there with my hot chocolate on. I think this is one of the best days of my life because I now feel like a writer because it was printed. Mm. Like the paper was printed and it was in front of people. That's a new level for yourself when you're only starting that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Then, um, so that was a great experience. Learned a lot from it, obviously, and then was dying to do the next draft. So as I went on with the rest of that year, I was then going to New York on a on a thing uh, for, I think it was New York, or was it? Yeah, it was, we went to New York with Henry IV, this play that where I was playing Prince Hal, right? So we were going to New York, and I was working with Phila Deloitte, the director, and I'd worked with her before in theatre. It was another thing of one of the cast was saying that you're writing a film. Will you give us a look at it? But she was only asking to look at it to just give me some feedback. And I went, Jesus, yeah, absolutely. I was like, I'm actually just finishing a draft. So let me finish it before opening night and I'll, I'll send it to you. And once we open and she's like, oh, grand. So I remember sending it to her then and kind of forgetting about it and then enjoying New York. And it was all when the Wake the Feminist thing happened. Actually, it was gas crack. Because um, <laughs> we were all in New York taking pictures and all for everyone in Ireland. It was really funny. Um, and then what happened was I came into 2016 and Nikki had said to me, the reason you'd, you'll, you'll get screenplay development funding if you just go in and get to have a chat with them. So I'm going to get in touch with Rory Gilmartin. She got in touch with Rory Gilmartin, met him for a coffee. And then I applied for screenplay de- development funding. And then I did get it. Mm. Okay. And in, in the window of time where I was waiting to hear back, my agents in London had invited Sharon Horgan to see me in something on stage. And she wrote to me directly mm. and said, uh, this is really long winded. I really hope your listeners no, aren't bored. Great. But it's like it was a step by step process of things falling into place. Basically, Sharon emailed me. I had her email address. So I just said to her, I was like, oh, thanks a million for writing back. Blah, blah. And then a couple of weeks later, I was like, even before I got the screenplay development funding answer I just said I'm just going to send her this and say just in case you can put it on your desk in Merman because I knew she had this new company I wasn't sending it like saying read it now and she so I sent it and she wrote back saying yeah I'm I'm in New York at the minute and obviously I probably won't get to this um, but yeah blah 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 but then it looked like there was two emails on my phone and I was like what and so I scrolled down and it was like oh there's another email from her and she said forget that I clicked, I started reading and then I couldn't stop. So can you take a phone call tonight? And I was like, okay. Mm. And it was like, I'm not saying that in a like, like that's they're literally the words she said. And I was like, oh my God, oh my God. And I was like, shit, what do I do? What do I do? Because the screenplay development fund is based on you having no one attached. So <laughs> I was like, fuck, I don't want to get anyone attached. So she, um, so I chatted to her on the phone. I said, look, I'm after applying for this thing and blah, blah, blah. And she goes, okay. 
let, like wait till you find out the result of that and then actually it might be good for you to just get time on it but if I could just like we, I won't attach myself to it but can I ever can I just look at drafts that you're working on and, and I was like yeah absolutely but she just wanted to keep in touch with me on it and I was like okay fine mm-hmm. so then as a solo kind of writer I I got my grant and I moved back to Dublin in April and I spent April through to August or September of the of uh, 2016 literally just for the first time in my life being an employed writer or what I felt like was an employed writer and it was amazing so I just mm. literally I had a room I, I got a, an office ironically in Diff Diff's offices down in Orange Key mm. Liam Ryan put me in touch with them and it was when they're not that busy so I had a lovely office in Ormond Quay. Looking, for out, on very, the, looking out on the Liffey. Well, I wasn't looking. My office wasn't. <laughs> I had one of the back rooms, but that was the condition, I suppose. Um, yeah. But I could put stuff all over the walls. You know, like I could I could start actually, do you your know. Do vi- your vision boards and go, OK, this is really happening. Yeah, but also do like, uh, you know, character biographies or ticks or things like that. Like I did things very instinctively, actually, at first and just paint like I painted pictures of who these people were for me and I kind of lived with them mm-hmm. in in me. And then I also went and interviewed way more people. Like I did so much interviewing and transcribing. Um, and doing stuff like that. So I met in- incredible people all over Dublin and Navin, actually. Really? Paul. Oh. <laughs> oh, Navin. Shout out to Navin. <laughs> woo, woo, woo. Yeah. Um, so that was great. And then once I finished that process, it was like, you know, you go through like a few things near the end. Like I had a, a script editor, Emer Markey, and you have to go through, like you go, you go through all these notes, you do lots of stuff. You might send them more than one new mm-hmm. draft, obviously. And then near the end, it was like... It never really ends, does it? For it kind of listening. feels like it never ends. And yet, sometimes it ends up... There, I remember, I vaguely remember this, that near the end of my screenplay development thing, it was actually an, an obsession over the first 10 pages. That's yeah. what it was. It was an obsession over the first 10 pages. Which is actually funny because... what capacity? Why? Why? I can't remember. Just to get that right for it to click, to to hook whoever might be reading it. Yeah, maybe. I think think sometimes... Okay, look, like, I think sometimes people are looking for certain formulas Mm -hmm. and beats to be hit. And they're all fine. But I'll tell you now, everything goes back down to instinct in the end. I think, you know, you're reading something good when you're reading something good, when you're turning the page Mm -hmm. and when it's making your heart beat and you're interested in what that character is going to do next and you're interested in the people that are chatting. Like, you know, all of these things do matter. Like, I know they do because I read all the books. I read Robert McKee. I read all the, I did all the things, right? Right. And then I threw them away. Yeah, yeah. That's what you do. And they go into your subconscious somewhere and if they work for you, they'll come out and the skills will come up when they need to come up. But essentially, like you actually know what a good story is because you're a human being and that's well, how you we survive. You have to learn the rules to know how to break them. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And you've got to remember as well, like a lot of our stuff is affected by Hollywood and the Western world. Mm. And then you have to remind yourself to like watch other stuff that'll take you out of that mm. and um, and keep your mind open. So, sorry, I've now veered right off. It started as a question of, Claire, how did you write the film? <laughs> and then it was just the whole podcast, actually, wasn't it? <laughs> it was great. Um, but yeah, so I think wh- where all the stars aligned to finish off like yeah. basically all the stars aligned in twenty, the end of 2016 because yeah. that's when I was working with Philida again with Philida Lloyd and she said how's that film going for you I said oh no it's grand um, she said can I look at another draft I said yeah and she's like are you looking to, to get it all going now and I was like yeah I was like Sharon Horgan's interested in helping me get it going and she's like cool and she's like well will you come over to my house for lunch some day and I'll, I'll chat to you about all the stuff to do with because she'd obviously direct her own films just about like production companies mm-hmm. and the UK and just and just just like kind of like help me out because she's she's like a mentor or a teacher and she's like that with everyone and she's the most generous soul ever and I really wasn't asking her to direct the film I must <laughs> headline that yeah. I mean that was that, that would be great but I wasn't going will you direct it mm-hmm. and in fact I think she was worried that, that that I thought that I wanted her so that day when we had lunch she meant look I'm not going to be able to direct this okay because I actually just have so much lined up for next year and I don't know what's going to happen this isn't the end of 2016 I mean look how long things take to happen Mm -hmm. so I go I was like oh no no it's grand I was kind of thinking it's going to end up an indie kind of director or something in in Ireland you know somebody young and new we're going it's going to be risky whatever we get it Anyway, and then this weird thing happened where a couple of days later I was at the cinema with Neve Algar actually in London and I got a text from Philida going, I'm directing your film. <laughs> it was one sentence. Yeah. 
And at the time it was called Owned. And she said, I want to direct Owned. I still remember seeing the sentence and going, Neve, get a cocktail there, will you? <laughs> <laughs> and the two of us got cocktails. And I remember going, this is amazing. So I ring Sharon. I tell her, she goes, Jesus, that's that's an incredible director to get attached to this. Um, okay, okay, we're going to have to move fast on this. Who's your dream Irish company? Because we're going to need an Irish company to work with. I was like, obviously Element, but that might be way out there. And she went, give me a couple of days. She got the script to Ed Guiney. He read it within 24 hours or something. Basically, it was like the following week we were at Element's Christmas party in London. And it was like... Sharon to the right of me, Phyllis to the left of me, across the table's Ed. And he's like, do you know Rory Gilmartin? And Rory Gilmartin was now working for Element. Yeah. So it was like, oh my God. And I just remember us all sitting at the table and that was when Phyllis was like, I want to direct this, but my only condition is that Claire plays the lead. And uh, at that point, I'd always been writing it thinking we're going to have to get money behind mm. this. So I was, I was sending it to Shauna and to Neve and to people that had a bit more stakes, you know. And I was like, right, okay, that's uh, that's happening then. And and I remember Sharon like doing this thing on my leg, just like, <laughs> like just this. Sorry, I'm showing the, I'm showing the lads. It's like a, it's like an excited gesture of like, oh my fucking yeah. god, <laughs> on my leg. Because she's like a little kid as well. Yeah. Like sometimes she's just so she's so open and vulnerable and really wants things for people as well. She yeah. got so excited. And I was like, please don't tickle me. Um, <laughs> and, and pretty much from there on, then it was like I was in development with companies. Mm. And then it was just the next couple of years of writing, yeah. getting a co-writer on board, all that jazz. And then, and then, and then, yeah, and then we were in production early this year. So that, there you go. Sorry, mm. it was a really... Long answer, but it's because I know the nature of this really podcast. Long but I know the nature of this is that people kind of probably want to listen to know like all that kind of no, stuff. Totally. So, no, so people, hopefully, helpful, yeah. yeah, people yeah. need to hear these stories. I mean, mm. particularly young up and coming mm. writers and stuff. It's very yeah. inspiring as well. It's, you know, uh, what can happen from a yeah. what, what do you think was was it that pe- people saw the spark, or what was the thing that got people so excited? I I don't know actually. I prom- to be honest, I don't really know. I know on some probably deeper level that it was uh, like when I was first working on it in the first few months in Portobello, and I was on my own a lot, uh, and just I suppose the radio would be on sometimes in the morning, and you'd hear all this stuff about the the house and course the constant mm. negative news, and I suppose I felt there was an innate desire in people to maybe hear. Uh, a new story about this a different spin yeah. and and something that's not just like uh, cheesy bullshit um, like happy go lucky let's think positive more like who are we really about this mm-hmm. and what's the nature of like not not just people in Dublin but in Ireland like I remember reading a lot at the time about um, who, who we really were like before we were colonised mm. and it was almost like I felt this deep thing like like I think this is more like who we are and that we're actually a bit more collaborative. We're not just like, oh, we're socialist or we're capitalist. It's mm. not as simple as that. No, no, no. It's actually like, I just felt like it tapped in on something that was deeper in us. And, like and the Irish spirit or the Irish sense of community. And, and maybe even just the human yeah. spirit, actually, to be honest. Mm. Like, I'm not, I'm not being like esoteric. I'm saying literally when I was reading these books that were about economics, there was a book called Rural that, that Dominic wrote and it literally, he lays out exactly what happened uh, in the last hundred years with um, the different presidents, that, like like when we first got independence and how everything was kind of modelled. We literally basically just took a blueprint of what America did because uh, we didn't know what to do right. and we didn't want to follow the English. And that is based on the notion of reaching for happiness outside of yourself mm-hmm. and never feeling satisfied. Like that whole thing is based on you have to keep the people a bit like not happy in themselves and reaching outwards for something all the time. Mm-hmm. When originally Irish people used to be like little methyl communities and we used to, like when a new family was starting up, the whole community came together and built a house for that family, gave them a cow and a fucking sheet or whatever the fuck it was. Sorry for cursing. It's I curse like a But it's kind of like the nature of it was more like, I was listening to a podcast with David Mac Williams recently and he was talking about the uh, economics in terms of like human emotion and actually that it's not, a, it's, it's that it is actually tit for tat that it is I'll scratch your back you'll scratch mine mm-hmm. but as in it was like the natural cycle of life like 
Yeah, Do you know so, what I mean? So, so you like, give, so, you receive, you give, you receive, and yeah. that that is the nature of so we're secret, how like we're, so we're socialists, kind of trapped in a in a capitalist kind of construct. Really. I don't even know. I actually don't know because like the people, when you say the word socialism, everyone goes to communism actually in their head somewhere, or goes to a kind of more. I think they think in a lackful way that like everybody will have less or something, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And I think actually what we need to remind ourselves of what true, like better society can be is like if everyone has actually a small stake in it themselves, if you actually do have your own little home mm-hmm. and a bit of garden, you'll feel more invested in the wider context of yeah, things. Of course, yeah. And I think like there's a kind of, there's a misinterpretation sometimes about like socialist stuff. I, I'm not an expert, by the way. I'm saying this like instinctively. I think it's that. You need to let people know that they can have their own little thing, of course. Mm -hmm. But like that it's like part of a wider web, like a net. And it it can work so simply and easily. Like it's 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 kind of it's a very basic kind of paying it forward type of ideology, you know, you know, give or just the circular economy thing of like things feeding themselves. Like, yeah, yeah. Mm. Ouroboros. Mm. <laughs> well, that's mm. what the Irish government is, anyway. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, um, we'll take it back a little bit and mm. stuff. And you, you trying to be an actor uh, in, in the UK? In Cardiff. <laughs> in Cardiff, you say? In Wales. In Wales. I did. What and was it that was like? great. It was brilliant. It was yeah. really, really good. I loved it. I thought it was great crack. I mean, Cardiff's a great university town because it's like really cheap and really, yeah. really good crack. Um, I was the only Irish person in my year, but there was always like Irish people in the general district yeah. and uh, and the college was great. It was full of a great mix of um, so they had like stage management course and, and music courses and it was more of a music course actually than anything. Right. They had like, you know, costume Can designer, sex tune? designer Can thing. You, did you do a bit of musical theatre? I did a bit of musical theatre. I fucking didn't expect it to be honest, but I did. Very good. And how did, and did you go from there to London or did you come back home? Uh, I did actually move to London um, and the only reason I could was because I got a job near the end of third year with Druid so I had a bit of money yeah. so I was able to do it I think if I'd only just graduated and left I probably would have had to figure it, figure it out I mean I probably would have went straight over uh, like just because it's physically easier um, and just got, got work and just started going but um, yeah I kind of pretty much moved straight there in the September uh, after I took a couple of months of just like sorting stuff out because I still had the tenancy in Cardiff and then yeah Mm-hmm. Moved to London. Was uh, theatre your first love, or did you always love film and drama? Though I feel like I always loved both. Yeah. I definitely think maybe I was a bit more into cinema, right? Um, than TV, I'd say, because yeah. I do find even now, like I get slaggins, like oh, I didn't watch Game of Thrones. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I yeah. didn't. I'm not. I'm not. Sometimes I'm not good at sitting down and staying in because I love. Like being out, (laughs) doing stuff. (laughs) And then I love also uh, the way cinema is like, it's a proper event and you go and you meet your mate or or you're going around, whatever it is. And it's like, it can be so all encompassing. And I still remember so many of my cinematic experiences. What was your first cinematic experience that you remember? Uh, Well, the first one I think I ever saw might have been Aladdin. (laughs) Oh no, maybe it was The Jungle Book. I also remember seeing Father of the Bride. Oh God, there's so many. (laughs) I remember seeing Father of the Bride because my dad the cried. Same vintage because I remember <laughs> those same experiences. <laughs> yeah, they um, were so good though. Uh, was there a conscious <laughs> influence in terms of other screenwriters, or you say you were just kind of writing from your gut and that's mm. kind of got you where you wanted to be? But was there a, where you said yourself, right, I'm going to write social commentary film and I'm influenced by Ken Loach and blah 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 was there anything no, going on it was like I had a real healthy respect for Ken Loach but that I wanted to take it to a new place mm-hmm. so I love Ken Loach and I love what he's done but I have a desire lately when I watch his films to go but what could be done or not even like or just I want it's like a desire I don't know what it is but I was getting tired of even say Wall Street films you know the mm-hmm. films that were like oh, what was that one about the big money big big, big oh the, the big short the big short mm. so I remember even going to cinema and seeing that and going yeah like I don't know if I want to watch any more films about the recession mm. Mm. and it's just timing it's just like it's natural it's like our generation will want to f- we want to get it we want to see the next thing we want, like what 
well, what are we now then yeah. after all this? So I suppose it's not that I didn't like anything that I was seeing. It was that I it was spurring my desire to tell a different kind of story. Yeah, it's zeitgeist as well. I mean. uh, yeah, exactly. That's what it is. And that's what they say, zeitgeist. It's sure I didn't know that, but that's exactly what it is, apparently. And I was like, oh, OK. <laughs> and then, uh, but I definitely feel like some people... Some films had effects on me. Um, I remember two days, one night with Marion Cotillard. Oh, that being film. really yeah. like, yeah. like just so, oh Jesus, so uh, real and human and just mm. like grand. Like I just, the way she kept drinking that water and like, how do I do this? It was like, she was like a soldier in a war, yeah. but she was just this woman trying to get some people to back her up in her union. Like it was, it was insane. And yeah. then, um, Actually, some films that affected me when maybe in my earlier subconscious would have been things like, um, okay, The Snapper is my favourite film in the world. Um, But actually things like Erin Brockovich. I remember loving that when I was a teenager because I was just like, this is a whole thing that's actually based on a real woman that did this thing for these people. And it was so inspiring. Like, I just found that really inspiring. Uh, So that kind of got me things like that uh, and that Meryl Streep movie Silkwood is it Mm -hmm. yeah things like that where you're watching something that's so gripping because it's really about like I guess without realising it I'm even as I say it I'm going oh I kind of really am into people Mm. like and 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 like people giving a shit about each other and I I really believe that's innate in us. Like. It is, it really is. In and this country in particular, not that we're, yeah. you know, we have any leverage over any other countries. But. Yeah, and I think this housing crisis is like, it's like a, it's like a thing that's like siren, like all the time. I'm just like, but we know like that we're, we're different to that. Like, and we can, we can change this and we can do this differently. Mm. And I think there actually are people already working on stuff and there's lots of solutions going on. There's lots of stuff. I mean, I, I've met most of them. Mm -hmm. So I know what's really going on. And I think we don't get enough of that in the normal mainstream news. And I'm, look, I'm not making any conspiracy theories here or anything or saying, oh, it's all, you know, but you kind of have to, you have to look for the information to find out what's really going on sometimes. You know, and obviously your particular narrative asks different questions. It looks at mm. solutions to problems as opposed to problems. Yeah. You yeah. Know, what can we do? Yeah. Like what essentially is gonna pull us out of this out of the mire on yeah. this overall in the long term. Maybe and that kind of yeah. com- community oriented get up and go attitude what yeah. th- that we're famous for. Yeah. Which, you know, changed the you know, the water the water yeah. scenario in the country and other yeah. things. Why are we not doing well look I'm under no that. illusions I'm not trying to cause a revolution here or anything mm-hmm. and my sister warned me when she watched a, a don't do with it. me. Yeah. she was just like oh, you'll get to say your piece like in an interview but I don't think you're going to change the world and I was like alright thanks Grace that's uh, really <laughs> three brought me down to earth no but I think um, I think what what happens is is that like we all have our jobs in the wider picture and mine mm-hmm. is definitely a storyteller mm-hmm. so I just know okay well I just want to just 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 change the narrative a bit like you know mm. that's all I'm I'm about you know what I mean because I think that taps into things for people and uh, if if it if it goes well with some people great and if it doesn't doesn't if they don't like it it's fine mm. but also this is just a story about a person as well and and what you know like it also just is supposed to be a film and a story and that you get captivated by it so as much as it might have a bit of like oh self build like self building's been going on for ages mm-hmm. like there's loads of this that's like I'm not saying nothing new here yeah. mm-hmm. but it's like it does tie in these things a bit Would you have any advice for other actors who want to write I know you didn't mm. you weren't writing this necessarily to be in it mm. um, and is is that maybe a good thing to think that okay I might not be in this if mm. you are if an actor is writing Yeah I think okay so maybe Maybe what, uh, sorry to swallow there, maybe what happened for me with this, because it was my first big venture, blah, blah, blah. Technically, I was writing a protagonist that was at least like my age. And I was close to someone who was a single mother with a couple of kids. I have nieces and nephews. I could hear their voices around me. So like, I feel like, I feel like sometimes you'd, you just want to write something that's maybe close to your heart not necessarily you mm-hmm. but write something that you kind of feel like authentic it feels authentic to you authentic to yeah. write like yeah like so on a basic level I was writing you know something said in Dublin 
there was there was characters in the story that I feel like I've already known in my yeah. life or met, uh, older and younger than me or different sex, but like at least voices that I could hear in my head. That sounds like a mental person, but um, so then what you do as an actor, like writing is like basically same as acting. What we're doing is we're then downloading it into a world that's on paper that has this structure that, yeah, we all have to follow on final draft. But essentially what you're doing is you're creating a little spine there for people to get up on set and make some magic happen Mm. and an event happen um, on the day. So remind yourself as you're writing that you're actually writing for actors. If you're an actor... You already fucking know what it's like <laughs> to get a bad script, okay? Mm. So when you when you just literally stand in that person's shoes and play that person mm-hmm. and jump from person to person, that's what you're doing. I'd advise you to use your voice memo thing on your phone sometimes. Mm-hmm. If you're getting it, too, sometimes you get it all too fast. Like mm-hmm. I sometimes get everything really fast in my head and I go, oh, it's like I can hear that conversation. I switch it on the phone. Mm-hmm. And then I trans transcribe it it comes out all wonky sometimes or backwards and then and then you can break it down into the dialogue sometimes it's that you're actually in a research interview with somebody and you realise this is gold ask people permission and ask can I record this conversation and then can I run by anything that like I would love to use as a line not use as a line but like if there's anything that you hear that you go can I use that aspect in a scene you know and all these things matter so just like Keep everything, I would research, say, as well. Research, research, And also, research. when you're out and you're staring out a window and you're on a bus somewhere, you'll think of something. Put it in your notes. Like, I used to have a thing in my phone. I'd have random writing lyrics, like, because mm-hmm. I write songs as well, or write, like, spe- like these things just started to come to me as I started writing. It was like, oh, I think I'm writing spoken word. Oh, my God, I think that's a song. Because um, I used to write songs anyway. So they, they like... Just I have little files on my notes and it's sometimes just random writing or it's something for that film. This is something for that thing. And I don't even know where it's going to play. And you'll find sometimes it's like a jigsaw. You'll come to it three months later and you're like, oh, yeah, I'd written that three months ago. So that's the solving to that so problem. Get it in the drawer. Get it in the drawer. Just like, yeah, just like it sounds so boring, but just like just just. Yeah, note things down square, and organise it. Away, just squirrel it away. Yeah, uh, it one, matters. One question that we kind of ask people on mm-hmm. every podcast that we do is um, how do you deal with kind of the the downs? Mm. We, 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 you've obviously told us about a lot of the ups and how yeah. you're dealing with them, but kind of rejection and, when yeah. you know, how particularly as an actor, um, you know, because... You're right in ventures, clearly you're going well. But like, what do you do? What's your bounce back? Or um, how do you deal with that? I'll, t- I'll tell you right now, like at the moment, I've even gone for loads of tapes. Haven't, don't know don't know about any of them about jobs, right? So I know I'm an actor that has done hundreds of mm. tapes and not got, got jobs. I've done loads of auditions and not got them. So I'm just letting you know. <laughs> it all might look good sometimes on the surface to people in papers. Yeah. You must always say like, there's a person there that's, Working away all the yeah. time, going to stuff. Uh, for me, okay, what I've learned about myself to stay okay and keep going, for me, it starts physically. I just, I do meditation every day and I, like just for 20 minutes in the morning, do the LTM thing. Mm-hmm. And I also think um, looking after myself physically is important. Not majorly. I sometimes just do a little jog or a bit of yoga. Um, I keep interested in just reading things. So like as in sometimes I just like to keep myself going as an actor. If I'm not reading a script for an audition, I'll try the odd time. I don't get as much time to do that now, actually. It's just read a play. Just keep the hamster running in the cage kind of thing. It's not even to keep it going for anyone else. Remind yourself why you love this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And go to the cinema and go to the theatre. And if that's not doing it for you, then just don't. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, listen to podcasts like this. Listen to Desert yeah. Island Discs. <laughs> oh. I li- literally like listening to other people talking about um, their own lives. I find very therapeutic. I find mm-hmm. it really therapeutic. Mm-hmm. Um, and just keep keep yourself involved in other things, the other aspects of life, like family and friends, and stay in touch with people. Mm-hmm. Like it sounds real basic, but I I had to kind of relearn that. Stay grounded, I, man. No, but like, you know, I mean, I, I, I suppose I was lucky because I was in London, so I'd have to stay connected to people mm. on the phone or do stuff like that. But mm. I generally found when I lived in London, before podcasts started to really hit the ground running, it was Desert Island Discs, walking in the park uh, and meeting up with people for a coffee. And don't, I would say, 
try and if you want to stay okay and be like and, and balanced try and be around people that are like that mm-hmm. don't get too dragged down in bitterness or like mm-hmm. you know staying up late drinking points going that person got that audition and I didn't any of that don't like feed yourself with the right things and I'm not saying don't drink by the way I'm saying just don't <laughs> what I'm saying is, is like point. surround yourself with the things that you want to have in your life like as in aim for it even if you don't mm. have it like you aim know, towards positivity and positive just, people just yeah and, and like silly things for me kept me sane when I was writing a lot on my own mm-hmm. because a lot of writing can be very solo yeah. and I remember when I was doing a lot of that development work and not doing a lot of acting it sounds silly but when when the writer part of me is live grand but when I'm not acting for a long time I do really miss it and I miss collaboration and I miss connection with people so I found I, I found I had to kind of really I, I went through phases I remember my ex-flatmate saying like there was phases where you really were so strapped to the deadline that you were in so much and she was like I used to say to you like on Friday will you please just go out for a fine like you know because you got so like as in I just got so knackered from just like being in and writing and I remember like I remember one Friday after doing a lot of like 14 to 16 hour days where I'd get up at four in the morning and it was because the more time I had at the desk the better like I I just felt better if I got more time at it and then I remember even though I was exhausted I made myself go to a play in the Project Arts and lo and behold bumped into some actors I knew and they were like do you want to come for a pint after and I swear to God it was like talking to somebody that I'd been in hiding for two weeks like I was actually a bit nervous because I'd been in for fucking two weeks working towards this deadline and I was like "Uh, yeah yeah and it was like I know it sounds silly but I was nervous actually about just being out and about after like even just a couple of weeks of just being totally sheltered away from everyone yeah, yeah. things like that felt scary but you have to force yourself to do it and actors are great actually like I think actors are good at having a sense of that and, and, and they have a sense of community in them anyway and I remember feeling so much better after just going out mm. for two points after the play and then going home I went oh, I do mm. I am human and I still am part of the acting crowd even though I've not been acting for months. Yeah, like I the, felt part of it then. Yeah, yeah. And the best actors and even the, the best creatives are, you know, really empathetic people. They're mm. empaths. And they're the people to be around because they absorb yeah. all those bullets <clears throat> that are Absolutely. Uh, everybody collectively. Yeah. You know. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I think that we could chat all day, but Yeah, we better let you go. Thanks so yeah. much. Thank uh, you. Good luck with Sundance. Um it was great. It was very inspiring to hear. Okay. It makes me want to pick up the pen and Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, absolutely. Name name of the film is Herself. And which I didn't name by the way. <laughs> Tis herself. Tis herself. Um, and when can obviously it's doing festival runs? But would, any idea when it'll be out? I don't know when it's going to be out. It's going. It's the closing film of the Dublin International Film Festival though on the eighth of March, Lovely. which will be really special and really great. But I know it shouldn't be too long after that that we'll release in okay. the cinemas then. And pe- yeah. t- people can go and see that. They, they can go tickets? and see that. Yeah, the, I think the tickets are on sale like now. And um, I. I do think, though, the closing got off from what I remember is a bit more expensive, so I'm sorry in advance. <laughs> no. If you want to go see that, it might be a bit more expensive, but just, like, it'll be it'll be out then uh, further on in the year anyway. Brilliant. So, yeah. Claire, thanks so much. Thank you. Great. Thanks, guys.